0: couple of quick things to mention if you're new to church and you want to fill in one of these, there's, there is, they're scattered around in some of the seat backs it's called a connect card and it just uh, leaves us with the information that you want us to have about you, um, standard information, not like the name of your pet and that sort of thing, that's not on there but, um, and then if you're interested in finding out about the the information in the church, so the bulletin that comes out each week or being part of a life group or doing the Alpha course. So there's all sorts of things that you can tick the box there. So if you want to fill in one of those, please do and hand that to me or Liz or somebody at the end of the service and we can get you connected. Uh, I want to say thank you to people who've been sent us messages and have been um, helping out in some ways since we've... So Colleen has... Things got a little bit more complicated with... um, Pregnancy stuff, so we won't see her around an awful lot between now and when the baby is born, but she's doing okay, and thank you for flowers and various things that people have done to show your kindness and your love. God, I just ask that as we look at at Micah today, that you will challenge us, inspire us. Would you draw us into deeper into our relationship with you? Would you restore your image in us and cause us to live out the lives that you have called us to live? In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, uh, good morning. And if you're listening on podcast, I just wanted to mention, actually, an interesting little fact. So, um, if you... Uh, have ever heard one of the sermons on the new podcasts we stopped doing the video broadcasts in the summer and we started doing a podcast uh, and we currently have regular listeners in Leicester Reading Clubmore wherever that is High Wycombe Manchester Newbury Ashford Tadley Croydon Thatcham Keeley Hatfield Richmond Witness, and Notting Hill and 11 of the 50 states so, uh, you know, and various places in Europe. So hello, if you're listening, uh, we're really pleased that you're joining with us this morning. And I hope that this is a blessing to you as well. So we're in a series, um, which we've, we've actually, the strapline for the series is um, Act Justly Love Mercy, Walk Humbly. And it's looking at the uh, minor profits. We're going into a, just a, uh, taking a walk through a minor profit per week for a few weeks in the lead up to Christmas. Uh, that just helps us to uh, access that book. We're going to take it, just, just cover the book in, a, in one session. Um, what's God saying? What was God saying to the audience that the writer was writing to or that the prophet was speaking to? And what's God saying to us through the message of that book? So today we're on Micah, uh, who was, so he was contemporary with like Isaiah, Amos, Hosea. He was about 30 years, I think, before Jeremiah. Uh, he uh, was writing at 730 BC, around the time when so the Israel and Judah were separate kingdoms, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Um, and Micah's mandate and purpose is, if you look at chapter 3, verse 8, this is really his driving force behind this prophecy. He says, but as for me, I am filled with power. With the spirit of the Lord, and I'm filled with justice and strength to boldly declare Israel's sin and rebellion. So that's kind of the reason why this book came about. So it's not a fairy tale. Um, You know, it's dealing with some difficult stuff. And Micah's filled with the spirit of God to actually bring a challenge to the behavior of God's people at the time. So let's have a look what let's have a look at the context uh, and just to that you know as well the flow of the book similar to a lot of the prophetic books where you've got this um, identification of the problem, the sin of God's people, the consequences, the punishment that's going to come about because of that the heart of God in it all for righteousness and the promise of God of restoration and Renewed relationship. So that's the kind of the pattern. We go in and out, in and out, in and out. So we have moments of, ah, and moments of, ah, throughout the book. It's like a pairing with a child, you know, saying, listen, you're not too old to go over my knee, you know. <laughs> right, you're going over my knee. <coughs> right, let's have a cuddle. Kind of a thing. So here we go. What was the problem then? Who was his audience and why was God needing to bring correction. So we're going to do a fair bit of flitting about so there'll be quite a few bits where the verses will appear hopefully behind me and uh, let's just go for it. What was the problem? Here we go. Attention. Let all the people of the world listen. Let the earth and everything in it hear. The sovereign Lord is making accusations against you. The Lord speaks from his holy temple. Look. Look. The Lord is coming. He leaves his throne in heaven and he tramples the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath his feet and flow into the valleys like wax in a fire. Like water pouring down a hill. And why is this happening? Because of the rebellion of Israel. Chapter 3. Verses 9 to 11. Listen to me, you leaders of Israel. You hate justice and twist all that is right. You are building Jerusalem on a foundation of murder and corruption. Your rulers make decisions based on bribes. Your priests teach God's laws only for a price. You prophets won't prophesy unless you are paid. Yet all of you claim to depend on the Lord. Leaders behaving in a corrupt way. Do you know, years ago I worked in local authority and I remember the arduous process of having to fill in various forms and uh, because I'd been given a box, or like a, a tin of Cadbury's roses. And uh, I was involved in uh, where houses get built and what communities look like and where we build community facilities and where the roads are going to be and what sort of provision is, is poured into a particular community. And because I was in that sort of a role, it could be perceived as bribery for a community group to give me a tub of roses. So I had to declare that, and we had to make sure that it was all done above board. Now, that's a very, very, very small little me doing my little job in Basingstoke, OK? But the idea that the avoidance of corruption and skullduggery in leadership is massively important. You don't just have to avoid evil, you have to avoid the appearance or the possibility of evil going on. And so obviously within this context, and you might be able to think of some examples from today's society where leaders are behaving in a corrupt manner, where they say one thing and do another you look a bit bemused there. Can't, can't think of anyone um, who would behave that way. Um, and God's speaking into that and saying it is unacceptable for people in leadership, particularly for the for the government, for the, those in leadership of God's people to behave in, in that sort of a corrupt way. Um, another issue that he was tackling was, I've called it prophets for profit. Um, so people who were prophesying And doing stuff to tickle people's ears to make them feel better and taking money for it. So here is, so suppose a prophet full of lies would say to you, I'll preach to you the joys of wine and alcohol. That's just the kind of prophet you would like. Prophets that want to say what you want to hear want to give you a little bit of something to make you feel better for the week and send you off on your merry way and take your money. People who were teaching God's word, preaching and doing it for personal gain. I think of an example, I will not obviously mention a name, but I can think of an example of a preacher who was in South Africa. Now South Africa's got a huge population of people who are living way below the poverty line. He was speaking in this meeting. And uh, he was speaking about the blessing of God. And he said, "God has said that he would use a passage from the Bible, and he's like basically saying, "God has said that He will bless those who bless me." So he laid out a blanket on the stage. and got and got people who are living on the bread line to bring money and put it on the blanket. Corrupt use of the prophetic, corrupt use of the word of God, the personal gain. Taking advantage of people who are less fortunate than yourself and using it for your own benefit. Another example of leaders misusing power and privilege. So this is Micah 6 verses 11 to 12. How can I tolerate your merchants who use dishonest scales and weights? The rich among you have become wealthy through extortion and violence. Your citizens are used to lying, so used to lying that their tongues can never tell the truth. Now, why was God so frustrated with all of this? There's loads of examples of this. I've just picked out a few. Of the behavior that was going on, of no authenticity in leadership, leaders misusing their position of power, their position of authority, their position of uh, influence for personal gain and to manipulate other people to push other people down, to be able to step up over them into greater and greater success. Another person, actually, maybe it's not appropriate to mention um, tax cuts which benefit the rich at the expense of the poor, or that cause interest rates to go up to benefit the rich at the expense of the poor. We won't go into that, because I don't want to be political. However, (laughs) I mean, if it's good enough for the IMF to make comment, I think it's okay for me to make comment as well. Leaders misusing their position to trample down the most vulnerable. And God has a heart for the vulnerable. He has a heart for the weak. He has a heart for the needy. And he cannot tolerate those who are in a position of privilege misusing that position of privilege at the expense of of the most vulnerable, or at the expense of anyone else, it, it it can't stand it. And the biggest reason why, and this idea of idolatry and corruption in leadership, this idea of profit for profit, is be, the fundamental thing is, it's because it's against God's character. It's against His character. And so the consequences of that are he is going to come at God's people with punishment. So let's have a look at some of the punishment that Micah was warning about. So uh, Matthew, uh, sorry, Micah chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. And why is this happening? Because of the rebellion of Israel. Yes, the sins of the whole nation. Who is to blame for Israel's rebellion? Samaria, its capital city. Where is the centre of idolatry in Judah, in Jerusalem, its capital? So I, the Lord, will make the city of Samaria a heap of ruins. Her streets will be ploughed up for planting vineyards. I will roll the stones of her walls into the valley below, exposing her foundations. All of her carved images will be smashed. All her sacred treasures will be burned. These things will be brought with money to be earned by her prostitution and they will now be carried away to pay prostitutes elsewhere. Chapter six, verses 13 to 16. Therefore, I will wound you. I'll bring you to ruin For all your sins, for you will eat but never have enough. Your hunger pangs and emptiness will remain, and though you try to save your money, it will come to nothing in the end. You'll save a little, but I will give it to those who conquer you. You will plant crops but not harvest them. You will press your olives but not get enough oil to anoint yourselves. You will trample the grapes. But get no juice to make your wine. You keep only the laws. Oh, yeah! You keep only the laws of King Omri. You follow only the example of wicked King Ahab. Therefore, I will make an example of you, bringing you to complete ruin. You will be treated with contempt, mocked by all who see you. And then there's the promise, right at the very start, that they will be exiled to distant lands. It's punishment for their rebellion, for their sin, and for their failing to actually follow in the ways that God has called them to follow. Which of course happened about 150 years later, they get exiled to Babylon. It's about God removing his protection so that they get to experience what life's like without him. Punishment, let's have a couple of comments about punishment, because punishment's really important, but it has a perception sometimes when you look at Old Testament passages, this idea that God's angry and harsh and just wants to whack people around a little bit, you know. I want us to really get a hold of the fact that God's punishment is there because of his love for his people. You know I have a little girl. I have another one coming soon. And if she's doing something that's potentially going to put her in harm's way, let's say we're at a soft play and she's doing something that's actually, I don't know how harmed you could get at a soft play, but that was the example that came to my mind. Probably quite harmed, actually. I've seen some of the things that they get up to. Um, and she's doing something that could put her in, in danger. I'm going to correct that. And if she continues to do it, I'm going to correct it a little bit more strongly. And it may be that, okay, you've done it, and I've said no. So then you've done it again, I've said no, that's it. You're coming out of the soft play, and that's your punishment. You're not going back in. Um, It would be reckless and completely irresponsible of me to just allow her to do whatever she wants to do, whenever she wants to do it. And in the same way, it would be totally reckless irresponsible and not loving of God to just allow his people, those who want to be in relationship with him to do whatever they want to do, whenever they want to do it and not bother to do things in his ways. He needs to bring correction to his people. It it says it in, in Hebrews actually. Totally lost where I am. Hebrews 12. My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you for the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. So we've got the context, what's the problem? We've got the consequence of the problem which is the Lord's punishment of the people's sin. But we also then get to see the heart of God for his people, and this is really important. the idea that God disciplines those he loves, he punishes those he accepts as his child because of his heart for his people, and we see that in Micah chapter six verses uh, six to eight and this uh, this is this is um The strapline of this series. What can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow low before God most high with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No, O people. This is what the Lord has told you, what is good, and this is what he requires of you. To do what is right, or to love justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I want us to spend a couple of minutes reflecting on that. It's the strap line of the series, Act Justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly. Why is that so important to God? Why, why is it the one thing that he wants of us? And when he doesn't need 10,000 gallons of olive oil, does he? I mean, he created everything. It's because these are characteristics that reflect his image. When God made the world He said it is good when he made the animals and the plants and the birds and the fish and the sea and everything else. He said it is good when he made you and me, when he made people, he said it is very good. And that's because we as humans are created to reflect his image, to reflect who he is. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. You look at the person of Jesus Christ, study his life, find out what he was like, how did he behave, what did he do with his life, what did he do with his time on earth. Because that will show you the heart and the character of God and it is to act justly, it's to love mercy, it's to walk humbly. And when we stray from that, we tarnish the image that God has planted ...in each of us. When we stray from those three things, we fail to reflect his image. Therefore, we fall short of why humans were created in the first place. That's why we're here, to reflect his image. Life would be perfect if everyone on earth reflected his image. And sin and rebellion and all this stuff that Michael was dealing with, idolatry, corruption, profiteering, misusing of power and privilege... Dishonesty, sin, they tarnish and they cause us as God's people to fall short of what we were created for. That's why it annoys him so much and that's why he's like, stop! Be who you were created to be. Shine like you were created to shine. Be the people who reflect my image, who act justly, who love mercy, who walk humbly. Be the beautiful people that carry out my work, that show the world who I am. So that's, we had four things, didn't we? The problem, the consequence, the heart of God in it all, and then the promise of God. And this is the promise of God. So let's get on to the promise of future restoration. And there's some beautiful stuff here. Let's go to Micah 4. Verses 1 to 5, let's start with that. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between peoples and will settle disputes between strong nations far away. See, this hasn't fully happened yet, has it? Think of what state we're in in the world right now. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and they will their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. Everyone will live in peace and prosperity, enjoying their own grapevines and fig trees. Or we must get planting those. For there will be nothing to fear. The Lord of heaven's armies has made this promise though the nations around us follow their idols we will follow the Lord our God forever and ever what a promise of restoration the idea that we've strayed that we've done our own thing that corruption and nonsense has fed its way into our psyche into our community into the way that we live we're leaving that behind we're receiving the Lord's um, correction and we're going to step forward and that idea that we will follow the Lord our God forever and ever. And look at the beautiful, euphoric world that will come about when his people are following him in fullness. And then it says, In that coming day, says the Lord, I will gather those whose. Uh, this, this is about restoration from exile. You know, in chapter 1, verse 16, uh, he'd warned that the people would be taken into exile. And they were, they went off to Babylon in 586, I think it was. And he says here, "'I will gather those who are lame, "'those who have been exiles, "'and those whom I have filled with grief. "'Those who are weak will survive as a remnant. "'Those who were exiles will come to be a strong nation. "'Then I, the Lord, will rule from Jerusalem "'as their king forever.'" As for you, Jerusalem, the citadel of God's people, your royal might and power will come back to you again. The kingship will be restored to my precious Jerusalem. You see, there's something applicable for all of us, but this obviously was written to Israel and Judah. Something really special about God's calling upon and relationship with this nation. God was calling through Micah his people to step into the fullness of their calling. And their calling was from that people group, the whole world would be blessed. Think about the studies that we did in Galatians about the the fact that the the message of Christ was for the whole world. Everyone, not just the Jewish people, not just those who had been following the law, but the whole world could walk (coughs) in the blessing of relationship with God. And Israel was key within that plan of God because out of that nation, Jesus would come and he would bring salvation to the whole world. So he's like, come on guys, your calling is better than what you're currently living. Step up to the plate and be who I've called you to be. And now listen to this, because this passage just is incredible. Hey, Jacob. So listen, this is in chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, only a small village among the people of Judah... Yet, a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. Think of the Christmas story. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. Then, at last, his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land. And he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Then his people will live there undisturbed, for he will be highly honoured around the world, and he (laughs) will be the source of peace. 730 years before Jesus was ever born, a woman is going to give birth In Bethlehem to someone who is going to bring peace and restoration and will be honoured in the whole world. Wow. Their rebellion was holding them back from the glory of their design and calling. And Micah is saying, come on, guys, let's step up to the plate and be who God has called us to be. And look at what has happened. And salvation has come to the whole world. What Obviously there's a lot of this that can be really meaningful for us, isn't there? It's not just the people of Israel and Judah in that time who lived with corruption and idolatry and waywardness. And a superfluity of naughtiness, as the King James Version would like to put it. We're all, we've all been there, all done that. And God is calling us into fullness of relationship With him. He's calling us to step into the fullness of the glory of our design and calling. He's calling us to live out justice, mercy, and humility in the way that we were created to, in being made in his image. And you know, if we have a time of correction by God, a time of punishment or we've been in a mess or we've messed up, we've failed him. I want us to just finish off by looking at the last two, three verses. (laughs) Bless you of the book of Micah. Because this speaks of the character and the promises of God, who he is. And this is something for all of us And I want us to really listen and and recognise through this that we can trust God. We can trust him in his dealings with us. We can trust him with our lives. We can trust him with our mess. Where is another God like you? Who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of his special people. You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. You will show us your faithfulness and unfailing love as you promised our ancestors Abraham and Jacob long ago. What a kind, righteous, gracious, compassionate, holy, amazing God we worship. And this morning, wherever you're at in you walk with him, whatever sort of a week you've had, whatever sort of a year you're having, however you feel on the continuum between act in love mercy, walk humbly and corruption, idolatry, misuse of power and dishonesty and all of that naughtiness. Feel the sense of God calling you into relationship with him this morning. Feel the sense of him igniting in you a desire to reflect his image more and more. And can we stand together? We're going to have a few minutes of worship and... There's an opportunity to just respond to God. We'll stand for a moment quietly. And oh sorry, Pete. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer before we come into some sung worship and let that lead us into a, a time of responding to God. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here. I thank you for your strong desire to draw all of us into relationship with you. Thank you for your strong desire to restore your image in us. That we might act justly, love mercy and walk humbly. That we might shed The rubbish that we pick up through our rebellion, through our failure to listen to you, really, and do things in our own way. We say this morning that we're sorry for the ways that we have misrepresented you and your heart. We're sorry for the times that we've done things that do not reflect your will for us, your commands, even your desire for us. We want to lay those things at your feet today. And I thank you, God, that we can trust you because you are faithful. You have unfailing love. You are kind and compassionate and gracious and ready to forgive. And you call us into relationship because of the reason is you want your heart for us is righteousness. Your heart for us is restoration and relationship, that we might reflect your glory. And if there's stuff that you just need to lay at God's feet this morning as we worship, you can feel free to do that. Just have time uh, with him. If you want prayer for anything, we're available to do that. You can either come up here or pray with the person next to you. But let's just allow God to minister to us and our hearts as we worship. Thank you, God bless.